following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. All right, gentlemen, great to be here. And um, I always like to know what am I listening for when someone's up there talking uh, so that I can filter accordingly. What we're looking for is a dashboard for integrating your spiritual life in practical ways. That's basically our goal. And if you look on your sheet, um, there's a diagram that looks like gang tagging of some sort. That's essentially my entire theology in one picture. And from this one picture, um, this is what I used in guiding work we did with an unreached people group where there were no believers and had our first believer, first church, churches reproducing, uh, every river valley where they're at is now reproducing churches so that uh, last year they actually um, led more people to Christ than the four campuses of Houston's First Baptist combined. And the difference is when you push your productivity as far down into the community as possible. The more you elevate your community to where there's a specialized few that can actually produce, uh, it limits your ability. And you have a, a huge demand of what it takes to get people to a centralized location where you've only got a few speakers and presenters who can do things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a complimenting part of what it means to be church. But part of what I'd love to see us do at Houston's First Baptist is have the sense of um, confidence uh, we understand our own faith, uh, so there's a security in what we're doing. We know who we are and why we're doing what we're doing. And what we do in our individual lives complements what's going on in the bigger scenario. And so that's, I hope that's not too ambitious of a goal for the next seven weeks, but that's pretty much what we're going for. Because that's the goal, um, adapting to your needs, preferences, and questions is the priority. Uh, one of the things that I did is even this morning got up really early and changed the outline so that there's all the handouts were replaced uh, this morning to try to make it a little more uh, concise and clear as our launching point. If you would, go to First John chapter 2. And I just want to get um, two images in our mind here, uh, one that should be intimidating, one that's reassuring. Now, 1 John 1, 9 is uh, one of those memory verses that comes up fairly quickly. Does anybody know that one? Yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and so that's sort of the when I wish I lived the Christian life the way uh, I ought to. It's sort of a fallback verse of saying I'm, I'm not going to lose my connection uh, there's, there's peace, I'm loved, I can be forgiven. But there's an interesting verse that then follows that. As we get into chapter 2, the whole point of maintaining that uh, peace and reconciliation with God is that we don't just find peace in being forgiven for failing to live out the plan we have. We'd actually like to be empowered to live that plan out reasonably well. And specifically in First John 2, um, my dear children, I write this to you that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not just ours. This is for the whole world. China, Germany, Syria, Canada, everywhere. We know that we have come to know him if what? We actually do what he says. Jesus is Lord means he has authority to actually say stuff that matters. So we know that we know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, oh, yeah, I know him, but you don't do, do what he says, uh, you're a liar. <laughs> you can't know a commanding presence of a king and not actually do what he says. You just don't quite understand him. So we're then stuck saying, well, what about in my life? I do know him, and yet I struggle to do what he says, and there's reasons for it. Here's the challenge. If anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This Greek word is telos. It means mature, what you were intended to be. An acorn telos is into an oak tree. Your faith in Christ is a babe in Christ. Telos is into a mature man who is what God created you to be, to exercise dominion in a way that brings blessing and goodness to others. And when you look back over 2015, your best memories are the time when you really did man up in the best way and you provided encouragement, strength, direction, productivity in your work, in your family, uh, in your community. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about being complete and mature in Christ. This is how we know that we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, is that the encouraging part or the challenging part? How many of y'all are walking just like Jesus? All right, yeah, that, that's the like, oh, man, seriously? Um, that just seems impossible, and it seems like a setup that the antithesis is going to be in the next verse. Of course, no one can really do that. Therefore, just be sure you give amply to the church, and you'll be fine. But that's not what it says. What it actually says is there is a way to do that. And skipping down just to get to the good part um, of the encouragement is he gives some guiding advice. And let's look in verse 26 of 1 John 2. I'm writing these things to you about um, those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, you remain in him or abide in him. This is language related to John 15. Uh, if you were driving in and heard Charles Stanley this morning was preaching on it. Um, and here's the encouraging part. Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be two things. What are the two things that are the promise if we actually learn how to walk as Jesus walked? That we may be bold, confident, and what's the other one? Unashamed. That with the full understanding of your abilities and limitations, with your opportunities and your challenges, that you abide in Christ in such a way that you don't dodge eye contact. That you see him and you light up. You know how it is when you see somebody and you're like, oh, man, I meant to send that email. I hadn't sent that email yet. And you're hoping the conversation gets deflected before you actually engage or some other issue that puts you in the sense of tension. Uh, and you know that there's going to be this unresolved thing. The idea is that you live your life in such a way through cycles. 
that you go through seasons and rhythms that at any time you can be confident and unashamed when your king, your Lord, shows up. Um, picture, if you will, the movie Gladiator right at the beginning. Russell Crowe is the great commander is coming and, you know, everybody's freezing. It's in the morning. You know, everybody just goes out in the woods, relieves themselves, whatever. And they got all their gear and stuff and got everything from dealing with breakfast and dealing with crazy Germanic tribes um, that you're about to go into battle in on their territory. And all this mix of minor stuff and major stuff in the movie, you see him come striding along. And what was the reaction of his troops when they saw him? Yeah, they're all like empowered and strengthened. They're confident and unashamed right before their Lord, their master, who's going to lead them into battle. How do you think they got there? They've been there with him. They've done that with him. And the commandments he gives them are within the range of ability that they can actually execute such that he like stops and he smiles at one guy, puts his hand on his shoulder. And there's this sense that the whole unit is able to be confident and unashamed before their leader. None of them are saying that they're superior to their leader or necessarily superior to the man to the left or to the right. But each of them are faithful to do what they are called to do in their unit with their gifts, with their strength, with their ability, with their courage. And that's what it means to live the Christian life is to actually have that sense of confidence, uh, not arrogance, not um, flawlessness, not uh, that there's no room to improve. But this sense of integrity of saying, yeah, I really am a man who really follows Christ. And that's what we want to be able to do. And at times, seriously, how many of you guys get discouraged that it's like never enough? You give money, you volunteer to stuff, you show up for church, you get fussed at for trying to leave early to go see the Texans game or something. And you're just like, come on. I mean, is it, is it ever enough? And it, feels, it can feel like that. Part of the goal of this is that you are able to understand your faith in such a way that you don't rationalize and just call yourself okay, but that you're actually able to calibrate your theological understanding of reality, your identity in Christ, and your intentional progress forward in the next day, week, month, and year. So overall reality my long-term character identity, and my short-term progress in terms of decision-making and habits. And the way that those break up, and this is um, on the picture, what you'll see is it comes from Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, bless the man who's basically not a smart aleck, that's not a cynic, that's always scoffing and mocking. Instead, he meditates on the word day and night, on the Torah, on the law, meaning the, the first five books of the Bible, the revelation of God. And he said he's like a man that's planted by a stream of water. As a result, he's got these deep roots so that whatever he does prosper, his leaves are fresh. He's not always stressed and burned out. The very tips of his being have a sense of life and freshness to it. And he produces fruit, this is really important, his productivity is in due season. And that's a sense, when you guys are getting ready here, you're, you know, Thursday, it's coming out of the holidays, 
got projects, expectations, and the rest, there's this anxiety that constantly is on us about, am I producing enough? Am I producing it on time? And the goal is that you get to have the kind of character and the kind of habits that draw on the reality of God so that you're producing fruit in due season. If someone tries to corner you in the hall and make you feel defensive and apologetic and anxious, you don't have to. That you're calm, you're, you're able to stand strong and say, I know who I am, I know what I'm doing. And if there's something I need to fix, I'll fix it. But you don't need to be pressuring me. You don't need to be pushing me into a state of fear and anxiety. I will be responsible, and I'll do the best I can. And if something's missing, I'll take ownership for it. No more, no less. That's the blessed life. That's what we want. And that's what the word will actually lead us towards doing. Any questions or feedback on that so far? Does this sound useful? All right. And that's what I want to keep doing. I'm trying to write a book on it, and um, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, because I keep explaining the why. And uh, I remember going to a Buddhist conference um, in Bangkok, and it was for missionaries. And so we had people coming from Cambodia and Thailand and Myanmar, Burma, and other places that we came in together. And the first day, we spent probably four hours going over the Great Commission and why we should go and reach the nations. Why would that be a problem? We're already there. We're already, like, left our home countries and are serving as full-time missionaries. Let's get on to the stuff. And as I keep trying to write my book on Crown Heart World, I keep trying to pitch the idea instead of just explaining it. If I start to do that in this group, please be kind enough to just interrupt me and say, go on with it. All right? All right. So here's a website, crownheartworld.com, and um, it's fairly basic, uh, but it lays things out. David Self used this in a sermon uh, a couple weeks ago, the one-minute version. And basically what you use is crown heart world. The crown represents God. The heart represents humanity. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. To be made in God's image is to be made in the image of love. This is reiterated when Jesus says there's only two commandments in the entire Old Testament. God only told humanity to do two things. Give and receive appropriate love with him is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, o Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love him with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And teach your children morning, noon, and night in the house, on the road, uh, when you start the day, when you end the day. The second one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, which is Leviticus 19, which is in the middle of all these specific rules, which means you practically and effectively encircle other humans as part of us, not as them. And until we're able to be able to give and receive love, receive God's grace and love and give it back to him in worship, and we're able to get over our fears and tribalism and actually see other people as loved by God and people that need to be rescued, restored, and renewed, then we're missing the point. And then you get Paul and others teaching later things like in Galatians 3, uh, where he says these dividing lines have been broken between Jew and Greek, barbarian and slave, Scythian and, and the rest. 
And in the same way, in all of the maturity passages, when it talks about your breakthrough in Christ, the way you know you've broken through is you stop being afraid and tribalistic. And you actually say, the power of Christ allows me to love people who are different than me and to love them without lowering my integrity or my values. And so for me to love someone who thinks differently, acts differently, believes differently, doesn't lose my integrity. And that's where the Pharisees just couldn't understand everything's a control issue. And Jesus kept blowing their mind that he could love people who do things that Jesus thinks is wrong without Jesus losing his integrity and doing it. And that ability is also what makes us good fathers, is the ability to love our kids when they mess up, either accidentally or just because they're stubborn, immature souls that don't do what's right. And so this goal of being created in the image of God is to give and receive love, and then the circle represents the world, meaning the entire cosmos. So crown heart world, God, humanity, and everything else. Our goal is to give love appropriately in the world we actually live in. The problem is we move. These are five columns, if you will. So these three symbols get rearranged over these five columns, and these five columns can be looked at like five acts in a play. So here's everything is good the way it ought to be. Everything's in harmony. Work is not even a hassle at this point. It's a blessing. Then everything gets all out of whack, and now everything's a stressful, tangled um, before I was a Christian, I was in Marine Corps, so all my descriptions of things that are messed up are things I'm not allowed to say in a Baptist church, so I don't know how to describe this. But fill in your own word for something that's really messed up beyond all recognition. The third column is how God in Christ untangles it and deals with the fundamental issues of humanity's role in connecting God to the broader creation. And this is one of the things that we often miss the point of. We were designed to represent God and to provide order and wisdom to the broader creation. And when we're restored, we get good at that again. We'll get into that more. What we often do is we skip to the fifth part, which is then once Christ has made everything right, then our physical issues in the world are good, our relational issues as people are good, and our relationship with God is good. And you come to church and you're supposed to pretend like that's how you experience things all the time, right? There's that subtext that sometimes we get that pressure. But the reality is there's a column in between Christ's redemption and Christ's completion, and this is what's described in Romans 8. And in Romans 8, it talks about the Spirit of God is groaning. We are groaning with prayers that can't even be articulated because the crushing weight of complexity of life and frustration. And creation itself is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, to put things back in order. So the reality is, you live in a world where if you trust Christ, your heart gets turned upside right from anxiety to where you actually know who you are. But you still live in a jacked up world that's going to give you hassles all the time. And anyone who tries to tell you that that's not true is probably on TV. All right? And more importantly for our theological understanding is we know true things about God, but we do not know all things about God. 
We know true things about ourselves, but we do not know all things about ourselves. We know true things about the creation, but we do not know all things about creation. Whole books of the Bible are dedicated to this. Job, the book of Habakkuk. You even see it all the way into Revelation where you have martyrs under the throne that are saying, seriously, God, how long before you make the world right? So as a Christian, the goal is that you have clarity about the things you can and should understand and humility about the things that God just said is none of your business. And as Bible-believing Christians, we sometimes overstep our bounds and we become like Job's friends who are trying to explain things that God never told us. It's like listening to elementary boys, or back when we were elementary boys, trying to explain where babies come from. You got that one kid who's a know-it-all, and you're like, you know, I don't know that he really knows what he's talking about. And in the same way, at times, we feel compelled to justify God, explain God, fill in gaps, or we feel like, until I know everything, I'm not sure I can get on board with the spirituality stuff. But if we understand things at the beginning, that those troops that are watching their great commander come through, say, I don't know everything that every unit is doing, and I don't know everything that my commander is thinking through in regards to the battle we're about to go in, but I know that I trust him, and I know that I know my role, and I know that I trust the men to my left and to my right, and that's enough for me to say there are things I do know and there are things I don't know. So that becomes the overall biblical story. And what we're going to do is we're going to get to where you can draw this, and what you'll use it for is processing your life experiences. What time's best time to end this, Eric? Uh, do you have some discussion you want to do at Yeah. Um, so roll, roll back from... When does everyone leave? We have to, yeah, let's wrap up at 7.30 when I want to close All right. and get out. And, uh, so okay, so I'll, I'll make sure that we're by 7.25. I'll have the alarm go off. All right. Um, any questions on how to fit this together? We're going to learn how to actually draw this. This is not a very good evangelism tool. This is intimidating and complicated, and um, so don't misunderstand. It can be used, and you'll see on your table, and we'll get copies of this next week for anybody who wants it, a tract-like form with hyper-simplified stuff, like where is God, bad happens, we hurt like super short, simplified things. And it can be used. But ideally, this is a discipleship tool and a dashboard. What you do then is that the overall biblical story tells you good experiences, bad experiences. When you bring good and bad, what do they mean? What's our ultimate hope? And what should I do next? Good, bad, meeting, ultimate hope, next step. And as we filter the overall biblical story, it gives us a sense of stability and encouragement of, of orienting ourselves in each different phase of life. How many of you guys have thought, man, once I choose my college, life's going to be cool. Once I graduate from college and I get that job, life's going to be cool. Now I just execute the plan. And those of us over 50, we're like, it never stops. And no one told us this. We thought you'd make the major decisions and you just keep rolling the plan. But you're constantly reevaluating who am I, what am I doing, what's next. We need a dashboard for that. The tree element 
then emanates from our identity in Christ, and you stick it above, and it's related to Psalm 1, and it basically, you've got the tree trunk says, I'm loyal to Christ. That's my fundamental identity. And then you've got the, the roots that stick out from there are going to have three things on it. My physical loyalty to Christ, which means I don't go to dodgy massage parlors and say, oh, I didn't realize that that's what happens here. That you delay gratification and you say, God, help me find appropriate physical satisf- satisfaction for food, for sex, for rest, for adrenaline. Not inappropriate. You're Lord over my physical domain. And I need help to grow deeper in trusting you over that. Relationally, that you help me to get along with other people, with my boss, with those that answer to me, with my wife, with my kids, with in-laws, with whatever. In all these relationships, that you're Lord and what that means in each of those relationships, I'm going to have to learn over time and grow character habits to be able to deal with that. Because all of us have bad formation that happened to us growing up just passively. And we have all sorts of weird ideas and habits that are our default that need to be replaced. And over time, it just takes time. And so you don't need to be lectured and railed at. You need to be trained, equipped to where your roots move in healthy directions to where they're actually tapping into there on the picture you see where the roots then would tap into that stream. And then that cycle at the top is what you'll find in places like uh, Colossians 3, where it's going to say, treasure Christ, put off the ways that don't work, put on the ways that do work, and actually live it out in relationship. That's that's the short version of it. Know what you're aiming for. Knock away the stuff that doesn't get you there. Put on the stuff that will get you there, and enjoy being there. Repeat the cycle. And when you do physical training, that's basically what you do. And I've never even been to your place, but I guarantee that's what it is, is you set a goal with the athletes you're working with, and you're like, if you've you got to stop this habit of this extra step or hesitation, you need to start doing this so that you'll replace that hesitation. Now, in game speed, do it without the bad habit with the new habit. And then come give me a high five when, you know, the training worked. That's what all of us need in here is we listen to sermons and we agree with it. And then we struggle for implementation. So um, here's your challenge. On your sheet, you see there, think, be, do. Think, that's that overall biblical story of the crown heart world. Be, that's the roots. Do is how you produce fruit. What I'd like you guys to ask each other or to talk about on your table is in what ways... Might this be helpful? And the second question is, how can we learn this in short training sessions over the next six weeks? How will this be useful? And how can we maximize our time for effectiveness? And I'd be curious to ask you guys here in a few minutes to hear some of your ideas. So take about 10 minutes to do that. Try to get everybody to talk. Um, and you're asking, how could this practically be helpful? One of the things you can do is say, all right, here's one specific situation I could see where it might help me. And then what are the ways that our interaction would be most useful to use this time on Thursday mornings? So go for it. If you have any questions, just raise your hand or shout out to me, and I'll come over and join you.
We're going to regroup in about two minutes. All right, here we go in just a sec. One of the things on the back of the sheet or that's got the real finite letters is uh, isolate for improvement, integrate for implementation. And, uh, and a lot of things, you have to zoom in um, to make improvement in a specific area, but the point of making improvement is then to integrate it back to the whole and so part of it is cross-pollinating here in terms of value ideas and um, just so I don't feel insecure and useless that y'all would say, oh, yeah, this is really important. Thanks for being here, Russell. So who would like to affirm me and help me not feel anxious Russell, about being here? <laughs> no, really, it's okay. You don't need to. I'm fine. <laughs> just move on. I'm taking classes on passive-aggressive, but I'm still a beginner. Uh, <laughs> Just, just plain aggressive. <laughs> um, so seriously, what were some of the ways that this can be useful that you guys heard or said? Yeah. This is really helpful. Part of what this is is like um, organizing your garage or something. That you got all this stuff and you know where it's at. That particularly if you're going to start apprenticing somebody else, you need to come up with a system that's really clear. And you may prefer a system anyway where you can find things at a, quickly. But particularly if you're going to be passing things down, you may be fine to figure it out when the moment comes. But to articulate it consistently to someone else, someone you're discipling or someone you're raising, this helps you organize things that you already believe and know so that you keep them in mind and can pass them on. That's helpful. Other ideas and um, ways this can be useful for us? Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, and that's that's really really a big part of this is I found with an unreached people group that anytime I tried to explain things, the things that I explained got flipped into something else. And I finally realized what was happening is every time we get information, we plug it into a story that's familiar. And so what we say to someone who doesn't understand the story in which we're saying it becomes something different than what we said. And so until we're able to say things, embed it within the story, so we tell the story and the part within the story, and you'll find that in Acts 14, that happened to Paul where there was a miracle and everyone interpreted Zeus and Hermes, and then he's trying to explain it's too late and it's a mess, and they stone him to death. And that's where he has this near-death experience that he references in 2 Corinthians. I know a guy who's been to the third heaven. You then see him engage later where he starts with the story there uh, on Mars Hill and says, let me tell you a story, and he works from his story to the exact same message. And everyone understands this message. Some were mad and didn't like it, and some said, we want to hear more, but he was understood correctly. So that's, that's a huge part of the goal is true things that we say are understood in context. And we don't just say true things that get misunderstood and we get frustrated. We say things that are become coherent because they're within the story, including to ourselves. So we have different doctrines that we believe, but we get confused when we shift from one to another and how to integrate those. Other things that came up, or in how to go about learning it, either of those. Yeah. Yeah. How do y'all like the idea as well that I talk for five minutes, you guys talk for five minutes, and we go back and forth so there's processing as you go as opposed to I go on for 30 minutes and then you guys talk for 10 and get interrupted? Yeah, let's try that and see. And part of it is that those cycles of I think I got it, let me try it. And then you come back, what did I get right, what did I not understand? Because uh, I, I zone out if someone talks too long, even if they're interesting in saying true stuff. It's hard. I, my mind is capable of coming up with competing narratives. And so <laughs> most of you all exact same way. And so I always feel that anxiety as a speaker um, to be fair to people. And I think that we come here on Thursday morning because we're like, I want to actually have this in my life. And I got it on Sunday, but, you know, week's going on, weekend's coming. Uh, anything else before I kind of wrap up here in just one more second that stood out or advice or how to go forward? Crownheartworld.com uh, has it laid out, um, and it goes through. You get a one-minute video to give you the overview, and then um, each of these are tabs that will then rethink the story, and it will walk you through an overview, and then each of the five columns it will explain in the text below. And then realign will tell you about how you respond to that story, and that's where you get your identity. Uh, and then renew 
is living that story out, and that's that change cycle. Uh, the last thing is, and this may be helpful to, to write on your sheet, where it says, think about uh, your overall beliefs, know the story. The goal there is clarity, theological clarity. There's too much clutter. I want to have things clear. I can zoom in and give details on specific doctrines, but if all the doctrines that I have are lined out side by side, it just becomes a mess. And so I want to collapse it into sets and kits that I can then break out in detail later. So clarity is the goal. Be committed to your identity rooted in Christ. This is for personal stability. This is that confident and unashamed. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. I own my weaknesses, and I'm moving towards progress, and I've got a stability. I'm not freaking out. I'm not reactionary. I have this stability. And then the the final one is practical productivity. Like, how do I go from being okay with my limited maturity now to making practical, cyclical progress in improving my character over a reasonable amount of time. And um, it's all theory to me, but I'm going to have to move from theory in regard to nutrition and just realize all sorts of changes in life. And binge dieting gets like every nutritionist who's not trying to swindle you will tell you it'll mess up your thermostat and You'll short time lose weight, and then you'll get fatter than you were before. And um, but we panic, and when we finally decide we want change, we want to get zapped. So I'm sorry I cannot slap you on the forehead and turn you into the person you want to be. If I did, I would be on TV. <laughs> but I don't have the hair or the gift for forehead slapping to fix people. Instead, I have the biblical pattern which is what Peter went through. And Paul, you don't hear as much about Paul, but Paul had a long discipleship process too. Character change takes time. And that's why all the illustrations are typically agricultural. And they, we disconnect from them because we're urban. But if you can go back to it, in due season. And so you make progress, you make a loop, and then you reflect. And then you go back and you do another cycle and you reflect. And these cycles get more and more effective over time. And the pressure's off, but you're not coasting. You're making intentional, measurable progress over time. And it means you have less injuries and more sustainable progress, right? All right, let me pray. God, I thank you that you not only create us, uh, but you know us and know the rebellion that we've become a part of and it's so easy for us. Uh, And Lord, even good things that you've put inside of us, when we get confused, the very Things that are good can lead us to more rebellion. We don't want that. Instead, we pray that you give us clarity about what your story is. Give us a sense of confidence and stability of our relationship to you. And the fact that you love us, uh, even with all of our weirdness, all the times we promise we'll never do that again. I'll definitely do that next time. And we don't follow through. Lord, you don't hate us. You love us. We confess our sins. You're faithful and just. But you also love us not to leave us in our frustration. We want to make progress. So, Lord, help us to work together. And as we make progress, Lord, help us to be practical, find ways to make incremental steps to understand you better, ourselves better, and to actually bear fruit of your character in our lives. Thank you for the friends that we have here and that we'll get to know better as we do this study. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a chosen
thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.